you've got to find a basis for folks to feel like they can have a crucial conversation or be comfortable in a conversation with you. And there's all these different personality types and we can go through Myers-Briggs and all those other things, but I think it just fundamentally comes down to, are you eliciting their feedback? And when they're providing their feedback, are you paying attention to it? Are you deeply focused on it? Are you showing them the appreciation non-verbally and what they're sharing with you? As you would be, you know, if, if they weren't saying anything, it's like you've got to have just this commitment to making folks feel comfortable to want to contribute. Because when people find their voice and there's so much freedom in your voice, there's so many great things that can come out of that. So I think the first thing is just you kind of got to be listening. You got to commit to listening. And, and then you kind of have to, to make sure that when you're done listening, you have a way to represent that thought and how you understood it or how you ascertained it and sharing it with the room or in the group. And so I think when you do that, certain things start to happen because I'll be frank with you, the more diverse I made my interview panel, the more diverse candidates we found that met the bar that can come join Microsoft. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Data Binge Podcast. And I hope everyone has had a stellar new year. It's 2019, and like myself, I'm sure all of you are in for a momentous year of learning, discovering, and up-leveling in the harmony of career and home. For those listening for the first time, the Data Binge podcast is a collection of interviews and thought frameworks, specifically with employees at Microsoft, where I work, who are leaders in spaces ranging from digital transformation and change management in big business, the implications and realities of AI, one of my favorite topics, all the way to more intimately provoking thought spaces such as leadership, diversity, and understanding how different people approach problems. Today, I have Ali Powell on the show. Ali is currently the general manager of customer success for large enterprise businesses in the Southwest at Microsoft. Ali has almost 14 years with Microsoft. And in my personal experience from working with him, and even on this upcoming chat, he is an exceptionally great example of a very empathetic and thoughtful leader. We touch on the topic of what customer success means and his team's charter. But more importantly, we talk a lot about how to build diverse teams and what successful inclusion really looks like from building inviting platforms for thought sharing to having courage and helping others with the courage to contribute. We also talk about his family's personal mission to give back uh, which is just a really great talk, and some helpful perspectives of how we can all share a part of solving some of the world's problems. A really beautiful interview here. If you haven't already, please rate the show on iTunes and leave some feedback on what you thought. It helps me navigate future talks. And at the end of the show, I can also give out some contact info for how you can get a hold of myself and, of course, the guests on the show. Now I bring you... Ali Powell. Ali Powell, welcome to the podcast, my friend. Hey, Derek. Thanks for having me, buddy. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for joining. Uh, I know it's the second of the year, a lot going on. And uh, you and I have connected uh, once or twice, I think, in person and uh, also in front of some customers. You're over at Microsoft, where we both are. And, you know, I was really taken aback by the way you handle. Um, talking to people. You're a great listener. Um, a lot of uh, people have spoke about how well of a, a people manager you've become and how you've mastered that. And I really want to say thank you for being on the team. And I've learned a lot from you. So have a lot of other people as well. Uh, let's just dive in. Um, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, some context about what you do at Microsoft? Yeah, I, I think... Derek, I got to thank you for that introduction. Um, I hope I live up to some of what you said on this call, buddy. But uh, yeah, let me, I guess, let me share it with everyone. Um, uh, my name is Ali Powell. Of course, we've talked about that. I'm the general manager for our customer success business in the Southwest. And so really what that means is um, I've got responsibility around what the adoption, consumption, and really use situation is for Microsoft products in the cloud or the Microsoft cloud. That's really across Azure. That's across Office 365 or Modern Workplace, and that's also across Dynamic 365 or BizApps. And so 
um, I have a collection of technical folks, a collection of um, kind of change um, management folks on my team, and, and, and they're all really just focused and we're all passionate about making sure our customers are successful with our platform. Because I think when Microsoft is recognizing its success in its customers, Microsoft will be successful. So that's the plan and that's our charter. And so the customer success unit, um, that's a relatively new group. Um, and that, that, that whole shift has come about because of you know, this new cloud awareness. A lot of customers are adopting into the cloud. Um, what what's special gifts or talents or skills do you think uh, people need to be part of an organization like that? Because we're seeing similar organizations at AWS and Salesforce and other big technology companies. Um, what are the minerals, I guess, that you see across the team that makes one good for this specific um, uh, division in, in the business? Yeah, I, I think it's an excellent question because it's a tough one. Because I think there's some philosophies out there. I think if you kind of just look at the industry as a whole, what Salesforce did to kind of land it, I, I think was pretty significant just to the industry in general. But I think if I look at it now across our business, there's kind of three things. There's the first around just table stakes. I think Microsoft is built and known for having really technically astute and credible folks. So I think that that's kind of at our basis and at our core. I, I think if I take a spin on that and say, what does that mean for customer success? I think if you look at the units at which customers now are adopting technology, they're, they're more fine grain now, Derek, than they've ever been. And what I mean by that is, you don't spend the majority of your time thinking about the acquisition cost of hardware and networking and things like that to bring new capabilities to bear. The unit of measure is far smaller. So it's not necessarily the light up. I, I, in most cases, and what I mean by that, to be really frank, it's not significantly technology, but it's about making sure that that technology could be really leveraged and used and adopted in a way that's going to be most meaningful to the business to give them the biggest amount of impact for the smallest amount of technology investment that they need to make. I think that's where the ratios are at now. So I think when you think about customer success, it's about identifying where some of those roadblocks are and being there in the trenches with the customer when they run into them. But I think the other part of it also is making sure that when you line up these smaller units of technology, you also need to be able to make sure you can line up what business benefits are going to be gained from it. And you're doing that at a much smaller level now. And so having the skill to kind of balance those two conversations, I think is really important to success because a small API integration needs to be able to clearly articulate what the business use, what the business value would be at levels that probably we've never talked like before in our industry. And I think that's really what customer success is about. It's understanding the need, aligning the need to where the business is headed and making sure there's a smooth integration for the adoption and leverage of that on both sides of the color. So you, you busted out with a full sprint in one of the most interesting areas and topics that I've kind of come across. And, th and this is awesome. So, and I think you are super good at this, Ali, where you, and I've just seen you in action, you know, talking to, uh, you know, business leaders at customers where you kind of take a step back and you really start to, try to figure out not only these, you know, these ROI conversations, but these business impact conversations. No problem is too small. No challenge is too small. And you're like a huge believer of getting these incremental wins, these very small wins because they're part of this bigger um, journey. Um, and you've had some experience you know, at Deloitte and some other bigger organizations. Um, when you go and you start listening to a customer and when you're talking to some of the people in your that you manage, what are some traits that some of these technologists need to become better listeners and really be customer obsessed? Because I think even for Microsoft and you know the bigger the biggins like Amazon that they kind of started this whole idea of customer obsession with Bezos. What does it take to be a really good listener and be truly obsessed from your perspective? Yeah, I think that. I've, I asked that question early on in my career, and I think I'll never uh, forget the response from one of my mentors. And he goes, you really have to listen for understanding, not for a response. And, and I, I, I think we talk about folks being active listeners. I think sometimes active listening is 
especially for technical people sometimes, it's about finding where the edges or the issues are at and then trying to make sure that you can surface those issues and talk through how you mitigate them. And while that's an important part of the conversation, I don't think it's the majority of the discussion. So I think as you kind of talk about one of the things that I hold true in every discussion, it's really just about being a person who can listen for understanding. And, and there's three patterns that kind of come out of listening for understanding that I tend to lean on. One is, um, am I asking the right inquisitorial questions to make sure whatever solution we're going to arrive at is going to make the most sense for where they are today and where they want to be tomorrow? And, and so you kind of have to use that one and keep that in the back of your mind as you're listening to how the customer is describing the business situation that they're in. But then also the second thing is always making sure you understand is where's the business benefit? I mean, how do they really think about success? And one of the things I tend to do is ask a customer, it may be small, but what would the press release look like when this was all done? Because when you think about it that way, it forces you to think beyond your business, beyond your team. And you really think about the context around what is this going to do for the company? And then how would the company want to share this more broadly as a competitive advantage? And then I think just the third piece is your network. Um, I, I kind of feel like if you think about the complexities that exist in companies now, some of them are domain-based, um, either contextualized to the industry, industry they're in or even the work group that you're communicating with. And so having an opportunity to have currency to be able to make sure if this is a finance conversation, we're bringing the people that have the right empirical experience with where the customer is at that can bring some perspective on where things could be great, where things could be not so great, and you're taking that into consideration. And when you can weave that into the discussion kind of holistically, I think it provides a much better grounding where not only did you educate the customer just on your technology, but now you brought a third dimension, which is just around their domain and their business. And I think that just engenders more trust. So I think those three things are some of the things that I pay attention to because technology now is really multifaceted. I think companies are multifaceted and the industry that we find ourselves in is multifaceted as well. And when you can bring that perspective together in a context that makes the most sense for the situation or for the customer, I think you come out with something a bit more holistic. And I think the outcome is better achieved for not only the customer, but as well as Microsoft. So, I mean, it's, it can't be more evident like how good you are um, with people. Um, I think you make people feel like you are listening and you also just have a, a very friendly tone and you're super empathetic to what they're experiencing. And that's tough to do. Um, and I think it's tough because you have to be like that in your per, your personal life, you know, as a husband or dad or friend or colleague or whatever, but also in your professional life as well. Um, so I'm going to kind of take a step back and, you know, I've heard from other folks, um, some things that you do in your personal life, um, that may be bleeding into this idea of customer obsession, um, and doing what's right and having these incremental wins and establishing trust and things like that. Um, I'd love to hear about the orphanage in Tanzania. Yeah, I, I think as I talk about that, I just, should share just the story of kind of why I chose Microsoft because I know day in and day out uh, for just talented people, there's always a home for your talent could live. And, and I think when you get past the economics and kind of the role, there's this other perspective you take into consideration about for me at the time was, you know, what I'm going to leave this world like when I leave. Right. And so mm -hmm. I, I really thought when I joined Microsoft uh, almost 14 years ago, Derek, one of the things that differentiated it for me from all the other companies was around this goal they had to give a billion dollars back. Just that, that, that there was a lot of kind of social momentum building up at the time and doing social good. And I was really appreciative of what Microsoft had set as a goal and how it was really lock and step with trying to achieve that goal. And at the time, it wasn't being publicized much, but I felt like where I was at, with my career and you kind of get these moments in your life as you get older where you start to think about your legacy beyond just your family, but the legacy of the impact you just want to have in terms of greater good. I think 
when I heard about that from Microsoft, man, I just went all in, Derek. I, I just, I, that, that was something that just aligned and resonated with me kind of at my core that uh, I wanted to be at a company that I could compete. I could leverage technology to the best possible way, but I could also find a way to do social good, leave a, leave a legacy that has nothing to do with technology that just changes people's lives. That was very important to me. And, and so it all started really there. And so one of the things that, that we did, you know, I think as being problem solvers in general, my wife is from Tanzania, her name's Sophia. And so uh, we go back frequently and, and you go back and you, you have a tendency to do this. When you go somewhere you've never been before, you have the tendency of comparing and contrasting things. And that's just how we orient ourselves to certain situations. And, and what, what I just couldn't understand was how there could be such a vast difference. Um, and, 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 and just when, when you look at certain situations, you kind of go, it can't be like this now when I experience these luxuries and almost not even think about them where I live. And so I looked at that and my wife and I, we had a conversation and, and just being kind of problem solvers, we started to ask ourselves, what, what can we do to make a difference? And so um, we wanted to make sure it was something that created skills for people. And so um, my wife started a company, Treasures from Afar, which is just this notion around um, taking the art craft, the artistry that exists there and that talent that's just built into just the human engineering around how they get things done. There's not as much automation that we expect and things like we talk about handmade here as if it's a luxury and there it's just common good. It's just how they get things done. And so we wanted to capitalize on that. And so we looked at that to say, we wanted to build something that was sustainable, Derek. So we had to find a way to take that art artistry and turn it into an opportunity that could be shared with the world. That was our first step. And so getting the jewelry made and things like that, and then having that jewelry kind of be presented here in the States and sharing the story behind that jewelry was important. And the other thing I wanted to do, and you know this about me, Derek, is I didn't want to do it in somewhat of a disrespectful way. So the way we present it isn't about buy this just because you're helping someone else. You know what I mean? It, it was really about, we think that we can project this artistry in a way that on its own, it holds its merits. But then when you hear about the story about the people who've made it, it just makes that piece even more unique. Because not only do you know the story, but you know the hands, you know the thought, you know the rigor that went into it. And so we built that basis first. And then the other thing we wanted to do is just, you know, at the time my wife and I, we had kids. And it's just, it's so much responsibility from when we recognized when our kids came into the world. I mean, you really start to think about just how selfless of a person you needed to become. And I, I think for us, that just became a focus for us is we wanted to make sure that we can change the lives of people at a very early age and do it on a basis where people could build skills and take advantage of the entrepreneurial opportunity that just exists within the marketplace and just facilitate that connection. Kind of that's how the orphanage got formed out of that. That, that was really the passion behind it. Wow. I mean, that's, yeah, I know uh, that was a lot of words, man. Sorry, but that was just no. a story. I get so excited to share it. No, I no, let's 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 continue. I, I mean, I, this is the first time I've heard this, and you know, just pinging some people that know you um, about some interesting things about you, and um, this is one of the things that I was able to tease out. So, you mentioned that you and your wife, you know, sh her f being from there, and you guys being problem sol solvers. I mean, you, so how did you map your drive? So, a, a lot of folks, including myself, find it very hard to come up with a model for contribution. Like I know I should be contributing. I want to contribute. There's plenty of places I think I could, but it's like doing, executing. Some people have that trouble yeah. losing weight or going to the gym. Um, but I yeah. think a lot of people would love to contribute more. So like, can you just kind of let me dive into your brain with, you know, how did you make it happen? Um, were you working an hour a day toward it? Did you guys set goals? Um, did you uh, have some systems around you? Did you have people help you out? Did you have leaders or people that you followed, books you read, things that kind of helped you build that process and kind of tell your story and build your story here? Yeah. 
You know, it's interesting because it, I think the timeliness of this question, it being the second day of the new year, I will guarantee you it was not a new year's resolution. <laughs> so no, I, I don't know how bad that might sound in the timing of this, but I just want to make sure I'm, I'm straightforward with the audience. Yep. That's not how it started. Um, you, you know, I, I think it just started from just really us making a commitment to, to solving a problem. Uh, Derek, I, and you asked about a book. There is a book. Um, it's called Leaving Microsoft to Change the World. Um, and it's written by a former Microsoft executive that, that kind of just really inspired me around taking advantage of all the access that we have at Microsoft, but just with technology and using that technology to solve, again, smaller problems. I think that's why things align so well with me with the customer success organization, because it's just solving the smaller problems. And, and that creates a momentum effect. And that, that momentum just can, can really lead you into some really good directions. And I think it leaves a great legacy when you look behind, because in technology, it's really about the experience with the deployment and the impact that it had. So I think if, that, if I relate that to what we did, you know, we didn't, it, it's interesting because this is probably counterculture to, you know, we created a whole goal framework and we had all these triangles or all these rectangles and we had months and days and times of the year. I just, I'm sure it's probably what your audience wants to hear, but that's not actually how we approached it. I, I think we just made a commitment to wanting to have just really small things that we wanted to do, right? First, we wanted to make sure that we could tell a story that really connected with the artistry. That that was first and foremost. And maybe that became more of a principle than anything else. Then the next thing we wanted to do is, it's like, if you think about it, um, the great thing about our technology now is you can create a digital footprint anywhere you want in the world, anywhere you want in the world. And so we wanted to make sure we had a digital footprint set up in, in probably one of the leading economies in the world, and that's in the United States. And we knew if we could do that and tell the right story and tell it in a respectful way, great things would come from that. And so we, we started there with just one item, this necklace, and, 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 and we just tested it out. And so I'm kind of giving you back the pattern. Once we figured out that there was demand and things for that necklace, we then had to now go find um, a way to kind of have that necklace be produced, a way to kind of get it imported. And then I don't know if um, you recall, but early in our conversation, Derek, I talked about currency. And that currency isn't money, but it's taking your network and being able to tap into your network to ask questions to leverage resources, or just to gain insights into things you need to help with. So our biggest thing we need to figure out was how do we get it from Tanzania yeah. in a timely way, or even East Africa, to the United States? Because uh, we've become very fortunate in the States where you know two-day shipping is something that we just all expect <laughs> and we appreciate. If not, it's seven days. And so sometimes these could be a bit longer. So we wanted to figure out Again, we took that problem now and said, how do we solve the logistical problem? And so we just took these smaller problems and we solved them one at a time. And even though we had a list of other things we wanted to do, let's call it a la the backlog in the world that we live in today, we just took one thing off and we tried to solve it. So when, when my wife and I, um, and I think I can say this about you and a lot of people just in our industry, when there's problems in front of us that we're passionate about, we're thinking about them and working on them probably more hours and minutes than we actually would consider or even know about. Mm -hmm. And I think when we had that one problem, Derek, and we just stay focused on it, we didn't move on to another one until we got it solved. And, and so I think that's how we approached it. Uh, we never set any lofty goals for ourselves because I think that sometimes can create undue pressure and anxiety. We just, we just stay focused on, okay, is this the problem we want to solve? Let's go solve it. Let's solve it in a way that we both understand it and we can appreciate it. And let's just move on to the next problems after that. And so I'm sorry, man, I don't have a neat framework or anything to share with you. It just, it just, it just was being, you know, we're using the word maniacally a lot in Microsoft these days, as you know, but it, maybe we just had such a focus on solving these problems one at a time and really be thinking about them and being, having the right solution approach towards it. And that would, that's kind of what led us to where we are today. No, I mean, I, no, I think this is, absolutely exactly what I wanted to do. I mean, it, you know, some people, I think it's interesting in understanding how people attack problems and you, and you, you, you're talking about creating these stories and, 
um, attacking a problem, you know, one problem at a time, one step at a time, the amount of time it takes to go into it. it you know, you being a consultant, I'm sure you have like decks upon decks of like frameworks that you follow and how to like, you know, solutionize things. Um, and just listen, I was listening to a Tim Ferriss podcast and uh, Doug McMillan was on. He's a CEO of Walmart. And I think Tim Ferriss asked him, describe like, one of your mornings. And he went through one of his mornings and his morning seemed incredibly human. Like you think he's going to say, oh, like I drank this fluid and I, I, I slept two hours and I had a team of people pick me up. And like, you're just like, you know, you're crit. But really, you know, the guy had, you know, two eggs and toast and like listen to CNBC. You, you know what I mean? Like it was so natural and human. And I, that's what I love about the way that you're approaching this. It's, it's natural, it's human and it all started with this problem. Um, so, so where is Treasures uh, from Africa now? It is widely accessible now. Um, it's a storefront now. I think we've grown the products. I think there might be 24, 30 products now where we're at now. Um, I think we've got maybe 17 or 20 different um, artisans that are kind of just part of it and kind of building things. Um, my wife and I were going back. My wife goes back far more frequently than I do, but um, we're, we're kind of branching out. We move from jewelry to handbags to just just these things that live around uh, just kind of fashion just in general and kind of, you know, these statement pieces. I think the product catalog is growing. I think that product catalog, again, is fueled by people who are building and families that participate in that. And so having the opportunity to give... Um, the parents something to do um, is, is, is really what we're passionate about. And so I, I think we're at a point now where it's like, everybody's asking, like, can you make it bigger? Can you do something else? And it's like, this and that. Our goal was to, again, our next problem, kind of to share with you, Derek, and the audience, our next problem that we actually want to solve for is um, we, we feel like there now needs to be some digital skills that we need to develop. And, and because the best thing that can happen is our artisans kind of go their own way and they create their own digital storefronts, independent, right? And, and, and so that, that just creates such a, a multiplying effect because these folks now will be self-sufficient. These folks would have digital skills that not only translate to their craft, but can be translated to other industries. That's, that, that's, that's the next direction for us. I, I think the products and the jewelry and the fashion things, they're all beautiful and they're great, but they're kind of means to some other end. And that other end is to making sure we're just empowering these people and these families to be successful, leveraging all the things that sometimes, not to compare and contrast, but we might take advantage, take for granted here in the U.S. And so that's probably the next direction. I probably, that is the next direction. I think we're going to do it at the pace that um, Sophia and I like and we feel comfortable with. And you know, I guess if I had my wife on the podcast, she, she'd be able to enumerate how many hours we spend on it. I just, like I tell people in technology, when the music's playing, you don't have a tendency to pay attention to time or what's going on around you. You just want to do something great. And and so I think that's that's our passion with this. I think I carry that same mantra um, into my career. I'm sure my wife does because she shared with me really good things about how I can become a better person. We do that all the time because she knows what it's like to be on the other side of me. And I think we'll continue to kind of toe that role. There. Wow, that's amazing. So what what the heck are you doing on this podcast, man? Bring your wife in here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know yeah. that's my better half. I, I think it'd be a far more entertaining uh, podcast to have, but that's probably something we could set up <laughs> if I get another invite. We'll see. For sure. I, I think my, my wife would say the same thing. Um, and I think she might be listening. So I'm just going to end there. Uh, <laughs> no, but um, that, that's, really, that's really inspiring. It's just so cool. I'm so glad that we went there. Um, and, and it organically kind of came back up to the surface um, where you mentioned these things, you know, digital skills. And yeah. um, I think every technology business, every business generally, um, I personally believe that, you know, not only is it good for humankind for us to be thinking about diversity and allowing opportunities for everybody, equal opportunities, and it's not always that easy. Um, but and just like last year, I, I think it was at Microsoft Ready where we we listened to uh, Trevor Noah. He, you know, he's from a, a comedian, an entertainer from South Africa, and he talked about 
uh, with Kate Johnson, um, how uh, diversity is a competitive advantage. Um, now, you being a manager of people and um, you yourself probably having to overcome adversity, um, you being from a diverse background, um, what is the importance of diversity in the digital economy? Um, why is it, do you think it's so relevant? And not just because, you know, for folks that are artisans and they, they need to be establishing digital footprints, but even for people, normal people like myself that work on a team at a big company. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, it, it's an interesting question because I am black and I, I, I think I've, I've been blessed enough to have some pretty good successes in my life. And, and, and I think that the way I think about it is this is, um, you know, some of the greatest problems that we've ever solved in our society, and you can lump technology, you can lump whatever category you want into it, weren't solved by one person. And so when you kind of unpack that, he goes, you know, it, it does take more than one person to, to kind of bring some of these great things out into our world. When you kind of unpack that and you look at that, just the, the amount of perspective and ingenuity that comes out of a diverse team, because no matter what we might think about, um, we all are thinking about things for tomorrow and for today based on our past experiences and what our exposure has been. And, and so if you take that into account and you look at what diversity brings to the table, beyond having a target of a number, but you just think about um, the goodness that can come out of diversity, I, I, it, it's kind of hard to, to argue against, right? And, and I can tell you how I lived it because you know, I, I think my perspective that I bring to the table is kind of being someone who is black and, and kind of in technology. Mm-hmm. It, it, technology doesn't work different from me. But how I approach technology might be different, Derek, than how you approach it. And it might be different by how someone else from a different background or ethnicity might approach it. Mm-hmm. And so when you can bring that perspective to the table and, and you put it in front of problem solvers, they just want to solve it. But if you don't have that voice and that representation there, that problem doesn't get solved for. And sometimes it goes unnoticed. And so you start to notice some of these edges. And, and you know, some people say technology can be like magic. It can, but when it's not right and it's not well-rounded, we know what it feels. It doesn't feel like magic at all. It almost mm-hmm. feels like a curse, right? And, and so I think bringing that perspective to the table and having a way to represent your perspective in a way that makes you comfortable and makes you unique, but also can be respected by the team is really good to do. And, and, and so I think I'm really blessed to have had the opportunity within Microsoft to do that. I, I, I think I've taken moments where you need courage to speak up and have that courage be recognized by the team and the folks that you're dealing with, but then also making sure you've got kind of the wherewithal to recognize when you need to give some courage to someone else to speak up and let them be just as comfortable and as confident. And so I think it's about making sure we get all the perspectives as possible that makes the most sense on a solution. Because I do feel like then that solution when presented it, when presented in the right way, excuse me, I think everyone can take that perspective and identify with why they did it. And I just think that just makes it more around and it does feel like magic there. So I think that that's kind of how I've looked at it. I, I mean, I, I mean, you, t- you just going through that, Ali, it's just, uh, it's just a wealth of, um, it's a wealth of perspective and it's, it's so, it's just different. It's just a, it's just a very beautiful way of looking at, at, certain things. Um, and I, I completely agree. My, uh, my father's family, um, my, my, my father's black, my mom, she's from Brazil. So, um, you know, Brazilian family is like crazy and emotional and like hardworking and all, you know, know, this total like breed of just different everything from my dad's side of the family, you know, very logical, very tactical, like people just, it's just, wild how those have come together but i've been fortunate in that it allows me to be extremely comfortable around anybody any any ideas um which is which is great for myself but some people don't have the opportunities to understand how to think that way and and to have courage and to give others courage um yeah and, and i feel for those people because you know that's it's it's just all perspective. If you haven't traveled, if you haven't had the means to travel, then you can't, you're ignorant to the way other people live their lives. It's just, 
how it works. So I think the same goes with this different diverse perspective. How hey, would you, hey Derek, can I just, I'm going to step on the soapbox here real quick. And I want you to push me off, but just, I, I just want to add to that thought. Cause I think it's a good one because most people, again, if you can tell in this conversation, I'm, I'm not really a framework kind of guy. I, mm-hmm. I do see pattern and I kind of, I, I think how I'm acting out in the pattern and seeing if this makes sense to kind of replicate. Mm-hmm. But this notion about diversity, especially in technology, is if you think about technology really being here to disrupt for the greater good, that that the more that that disruption can have a ripple effect across just different races, different ethnicities, different genders, just different countries. I mean, that that's a beautiful thing. I mean, if you look at some of the salient technologies that have kind of really disrupted, it, 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 it's that everyone was able to approach it and deal with it in a way that made sense for them. I think the best example that we can kind of use, people sometimes don't realize they're using it, is the internet. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, it's the best example of diversity. I mean, it changes languages. It, it, it does everything that it needs to do to bring it to people in the best way that they can kind of consume it. And so when... When I think about diversity, I also balance it with inclusion because it's not just we talk about that courage piece. It's not just that you invited a bunch of perspectives to the table, but you listened, you considered them, and, and you figured out how to make them work in its totality. And, and so that inclusiveness piece is really important as well. Sorry, buddy. I'm going to get off the no, so no. That, when you I, said that, it just connected. No, man. Me. me and me and you were we're riding neck and neck right now. Um, and that was the next question. Um, this inclusivity piece, and and I've talked about this before in other podcasts around diversity can mean so many different things. You know, and I have buddies who are like, I, I'm not diverse. I'm a white guy, and I'm like, yeah, but you're from Minnesota, and you know, your parents are Polish, and you guys, you know, eat X Y Z during Thanksgiving, and you do, you know, you say these things and do those things and you like, you know, you're a vegan and it, it, there's so many different, so many different aspects. Um, right now where I think we're talking more about race because I think, um, that's just very evident and you can tell when someone's black or Asian or whatever. Um, yep. so it, it brings those diversities to the table very quickly. I mean, obviously gender, um, now you're you're in, and you just mentioned the soap this the soapbox conversation, which was a, an amazing statement you made. This ripple effect, um, and like you know, I'm I'm thinking about like Uber is a great technology that encourages diversity because anybody can use it. Um, you know, so they're having some um, like uh, higher view. It's like an I've had a lot of debates on LinkedIn about um, whether or not it's good for AI to be interviewing people. I think it's a great idea for multiple reasons, but again, you're you're going back to how technology can change the way that um, data is received, and data can mean anything. Um, but now we're talking about people, um, and someone that doesn't have that background and is not used to having to have the courage, them not having the courage or ever having to have to have it now giving other people courage like how do you how do we get people to think in this fashion how do we get them to be comfortable thinking in this fashion cuz I, I think everybody wants to think this way um, there's ego involved and there's you know this thinking of the masses and it's just a lot, it's a lot of ignorance as well if you've never had to think this way maybe you're not very good at it yeah that's an that's an interesting question cuz i mean as a person who leads a technical team I'm I'm always pushing to find the best candidates as well as making sure that that definition of best includes just diverse candidates as well. And and I, I think if I look at kind of the successes that we've had just across our businesses, one of the things I thought was important is you, you got to find a platform where people feel comfortable. And you talk about AI doing interviewing. I guess if I were to kind of take that pattern, take a step back from it, I'd probably go... Um, one of the things that's really important is you've got to find a basis for folks to feel like they can have a crucial conversation or be comfortable in a conversation with you. And there's all these different personality types, and we can go through Myers-Briggs and all those other things, but I think it just fundamentally comes down to, are you eliciting their feedback? And when they're providing their feedback, are you paying attention to it? Are you deeply focused on it? Are you showing them the appreciation non-verbally and what they're sharing with you as you would be, you know, if, if they weren't saying anything, it's like, you've got to have 
just this commitment to making folks feel comfortable to want to contribute. Because when people find their voice and there's so much freedom in your voice, there's so many great things that can come out of that. So I think the first thing is just, you kind of got to be listening. You got to commit to listening. And, and then you kind of have to, to make sure that when you're done listening, you have a way to represent that thought and how you understood it or how you ascertained it and sharing it with the room or in the group. And so I think when you do that, certain things start to happen because I'll be frank with you, the more diverse I made my interview panel, the more diverse candidates we found that met the bar that can come join Microsoft. And so the way I made that panel is I felt like I just started to have really crucial conversations with folks and made them comfortable. And, and so when you do that, that comfort translates to them. And it also translates to candidates that were thinking about joining Microsoft. And, and, and so it kind of starts with kind of these things that are important. I think first is just a sense of comfort and letting people find their voice. And when they do that and they see how you do that as a leader, as a person that's part of that team, they start to really adjust to what the bar is. And, and then you just have to create platforms for that to be tested. And so if I were to look at an interview process, kind of the, the, the platform where that could be tested is build an interview candidate, excuse me, build an interview panel, make sure that panel can have the comfortable conversations, that we can have the crucial discussions, then letting that panel represent how we look for candidates. And we don't look to screen people out. We look to screen people in kind of letting that be the focus. Some great folks came through that, Derek. And so I guess the, the, the way that I could say that sometimes is it, it's really just really about focusing in, in a really intent way on someone and letting them feel comfortable to have that conversation. And if they see, if your team sees that as values and as core principles, then they'll pay attention to that. And then you just created this great fabric that anybody could approach and have a conversation about. And that's how I think we've been really successful about finding candidates because our customer success organization needs to look like the world if we're going to really be successful at it, Derek. And so it's got to start with finding people who can kind of meet the Microsoft bar, but also represent what our customers look like out there in the world. And that was a focus for me. That's so valuable. And then um, focusing on someone, this intent, hyper intense focus on someone and it sounds like the way that you're looking at this is it's not just focusing on making a certain person or group of people comfortable. You're also creating this environment that you talked about this platform for communication. You're creating this platform, but also the air that everyone's breathing, the entire environment with having these like pre-meetings and talking about screening in. So the, you're, not, you're not only focusing on that person that you're going to go interview in this case, but you're focusing on the people that are with that are also doing the interviews. So they're also part of that learning profile. Um, so everyone in the room is becoming better and including the person being interviewed. Um, yeah, it's just a, a really, really, really great way of, of, of putting that Ali. That's super fascinating. Um, so I'm going to rock the boat a little bit. Go for um, it. Dude. Go, if go you, for it. if you could be the character of any sci-fi movie, Oh, who would it be? Oh, and why? Wow, you said sci-fi movie. Wait, you're, you're a techie. I gotta go sci-fi. I, I am a techie, and and I don't know how much the audience I might disrespect by going with Star Wars, um, but um, I, I am gonna go with Star Wars. Um, and and uh, the the one I'd like to be. Uh, as strange as this might sound, is is Chewbacca. Uh, <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. I knew it. Oh, you did, you did. <laughs> yeah, man. I've I've I've, I've kind of, and 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 maybe it, it does connect with just kind of in in some ways. There's an innuendo around kind of how I thought I would be looked at, kind of in, in the technology world. I mean, to an extent, when I got started, it wasn't as diverse as it was now. Um, I'm not as early as some of the other folks that have paved the way. But but just before Chewbacca spoke, there's just kind of how you look at Chewbacca, right? You, you're different from all the other characters. And I don't know how much of a Star Wars fan you are. I'm, I'm a huge he, Star Wars fan. He, 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 he's the hairiest character, actually, <laughs> of all the characters that are represented in every Star Wars, even some of the newer ones they perspective that, either intentionally or unintentionally. He looks different. He's physically imposing. Like Everything about Chewbacca um, is, is completely different. 
But if you look at what he does and, and how he's able to communicate only with those who he's created a connection with, who really understand him and they trust him, that relationship he has with those characters and what they're able to do together, it's just impressive. Sometimes it makes the movie. And, and this is getting really philosophical because I do it. profess that I'm a Star Wars fan. <laughs> right? It's just like, so, you know, I have three boys. And, uh, you know, we, before they could go see any of the newer Star Wars, we kind of had to watch all the old ones. And I, I was just kind of letting them pick kind of characters that they could identify with. And then, you know, I, I kind of just leaned in and said, like, Chewbacca's my guy. Like, I don't even know if he's a guy, but Chewbacca's is it. <laughs> yeah. That's it, right? He is, he, he is it. I identify with Chewbacca. So, yeah, that's the way it would be. And, and the why behind him, I, I think I shared, but, uh, I hope not to offend any of uh, the Trekkies out there, but I'm a Star Wars guy. Good for you. Yeah, I, I, um, we could have this discussion for many, 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 many hours over tacos and beers and all kinds of great things. Um, yeah, we've but, done that before. Isn't yeah, that we, awesome? Yeah. We, have, we have done that before. You, you are a taco fiend. Um, and, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I know that for a fact. So you, you'll be the first person I call when it's time for taco time. Um, so what's, um, what's next for you, Ali? You, you've had some really great success. You're, you're very loved. You're very trusted. Obviously, from the time we've had on, on the talk today, you're just a, a really great person to talk to. I, I you know, need, I feel like I've wasted opportunity by not reaching out to you more and, and having more lunches and times uh, together to, to chat. But, you know, uh, what do you, what do you want to do? What's, what's the beyond look like for you, whether it be Microsoft or anywhere else? Yeah, I, you know, it's an interesting question because sometimes people do ask me kind of what, what's next for you in your career. I think first and foremost, I, I just have to say this and it's going to sound probably a little too simplistic, but I just want to be happy, Derek. You know, like I, I've, I've, I was never passionate about getting a title. I was never passionate about kind of being in control and, and I'll profess on your podcast. I don't think I'm a great manager. I think I'm a pretty good leader probably a better leader than I am a manager. Yeah. Um, and, but, but it's like, I've never kind of had this thought around what would be next um, in terms of a title. I've never kind of been focused on that, but I guess I will tell you what the next opportunity for me looks like. I think first, I am just extremely passionate about really this new industry of customer success, helping to define it. It's kind of a startup within Microsoft, having the opportunity to kind of lay the bones and build some of the anatomy for that and just do really good things with our customers and kind of this micro economy we're going to find ourselves in with technology moving forward here. That's, that's awesome. Right. Like as I tell people on my team, like we are the people in front of YouTube being released for the first time when that democratized video, you give everybody like, like that's an awesome thing to be a part of. Right. And so I, I really want to make sure that I have the chance to develop new muscles and, and work with just really some really smart people and with our customers to be successful with that. Because I do think those skills will translate to really important skills for the next generation of kind of where our economy is headed. So that first and foremost. I think the second thing is I'm kind of focused on kind of really looking at, for me, um, not the role, but kind of what I, who I want to do it with next, right? It, it's like, as you move up in your career, the relationships become more important than the title in my opinion and it's like you now start to figure out what type kind of like a chemistry problem like what what chemical element could i get with derek could i get with um maybe natalie what chemical element can i get with kathy like you start to figure out what would it be like if i could just work with those collection of people to do something to solve this problem and so that's really kind of unique right because most of the time you look for the job and the title now i believe i'm on this search for who i want to do great things with that's kind of a really good blessing to be able to look at things that way but it creates kind of this tremendous kind of burden a little bit around okay now that you're working with those people <laughs> when are you going to get it done and so i haven't gotten to that part yet but i do kind of look at things now of who do i really want to work with and then what problems do i want to solve with them and so I don't know what that looks like now. I can tell you the customer success business, the blending technology, 
where it comes to confluence for our customers and using the right kind of frameworks and tooling to make sure it's adopted correctly. That's awesome for me. So that's probably the framework of what's next. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know when I'll be there yet, but I might have to call you and we do another podcast on that. <laughs> that's great, Ali. And I, I love how you, you mentioned the people aspect. I mean, we've been talking about people, people, people this entire podcast as part of the theme for about how important you know all of our lives are um, to ourselves and each other. Um, I've been hyper-focused on this uh, this theme of experiences. What experiences do I want next? But I think you nailed it. I mean, focusing on the people you want to be around, um, that is a very important thing as well. Um, this is great, Ali. It was so fun to have you on. I, I personally learned so much. I, I'm just thrilled to share this with the rest of the world. Um, in terms of people wanting to get a hold of you, um, can they get a hold of you via LinkedIn or Twitter or, or what's the best way to, to throw you a chat or, or ping you if folks want to ask you some questions? Absolutely. LinkedIn is probably the best way to go. Um, I, I think there's just a, a good context and a platform there to use to facilitate that. I okay. think that's best. Um, I, I actually respond a lot there more so than anything else. Okay. So that, that'd probably be the best means. Great. Okay. So I'll put your, I'll put your profile uh, in the, the show notes and um, really appreciate having you on today, Ali. Uh, this was awesome, man. Happy New Year. <laughs> You too, but hey, I got one question for you, Derek. Before we go, I, I sure mean, I, I need to hear your who's your super your your character from sci-fi. Oh, I, I need to hear it. Oh man, I I can't believe you asked me this. Yes, I'm giving you your question back. Um, I think it is um, the T101 Arnold Schwarzenegger in the second Terminator. Oh. Yeah. And uh Oh. Yeah. I had I had to I had to dive quick for that one and uh I think it's important because he's a killer and he was designed a certain way, he's designed to do something specific, but he has to learn not to kill. He has to learn how to be a completely different operating um system and machine and yeah. even cybernetic organism. Um, and I love that he learned throughout that entire thing. And he became the father, the father figure that John Connor always wanted. And that hit my heart's uh, strings because um, I kind of didn't really have a father figure growing up. So I thought that was just great that you, a, a machine can learn like that. And if a machine can learn like that, then all humans can learn to be something that they weren't designed to be. Um, that's so that's, yeah, yeah. So that's and, awesome. I caught you off guard, but you knocked that out of the park. <laughs> let me job. let me wipe let me wipe the tear from my eye. And uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. thanks, Ali. That was that was great. I loved getting that question, man. I appreciate it. Um, well, Anytime. sir, it's been sir, a pleasure talking to you, man. You I've too. enjoyed it. Me too, man. Well, happy New Year, and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks a lot, Ali. You do the same, buddy. Be well. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening today and having some fun with us on the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please follow me on LinkedIn or at DRUSS Network, D-R-U-S-S Network on Twitter or Instagram. And you can also reach out to me anytime via email at Derek at thedatabinge.com. The Data Binge podcast is a personal thought forum where we share knowledge and ideas. Views and opinions expressed here do not reflect those of my employer, Microsoft. I really hope you enjoyed. Thanks a lot.